Hello, Internet. Mike and Andy here. We're so glad you're with us on the Vox podcast. Um, after last week, and we talked about the soulmate myth, uh, my wife has uh, decided that uh, she has repented from her love of Justin Bieber. She's come to see the light. Um, I wish any of those things were true. Yeah, I was saying, what did that look like? <laughs> uh, yeah, it didn't. Yeah, it was awful. It was awful. So, so my sweet wife and I are um, are, are working out our musical differences. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and right now, there's a current debate over what song will be the first song officially played as part of the Vox Christian community. Okay. And and she's suggesting, you know, it's something Jesusy. Um, and I'm suggesting Pearl Jam or Muse. Yeah. And, um, and so there, there's a bit of tension in the Erie household right now. I, and I still, I still don't understand when, it, what's Justin Bieber say? If you think you look so good, just go ahead and love yourself or something. Yeah. Right. What's it? Can you sing it? No, I can't. Can you sing it as, uh, what, what were you? Dakota? <laughs> Tanaka? I didn't, I didn't sing Dakota. But you didn't? No. But you sang in, what was the other Nightfall. one? Nightfall. Nightfall. Right. That's it. So give me give me a little Justin Bieber in, in th- Nightfall voice. Think, I'm trying to get the melody right in my head. I can't I can't imagine it. Um, oh. Come on, come on. I can't do it. I can't get the first line. I just remember the the last part. All right, we'll sing that and go, go ahead and love yourself. Right? Yeah, isn't it? And then that what it is? Yeah, yeah. It's like if I can't. Well, I I know if you then dun 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 dun, dun then just go ahead and love yourself. yourself. Yeah, there it is. What's that mean? That was a duo. That was a duo. That was yeah, better. that was awful. Okay, so so we are. So Mike and I are going to be leading worship oh, to start off. Yes. The show. But then what? But then what? What Pearl Jam song should we choose? You know, and and who and and uh, uh, who? What worship leaders out there know Pearl Jam? That should be that should be the interview. Okay. Let me hear you play Even Flow. Okay. And there then we go. and then we just see. and we'll go from there. Yep. Or if they start with Stockholm Syndrome as their jam, oh, then we'd be... I love that you know that. That's a deep cut Oh, well, right I'm, a huge, I'm a huge Muse fan. Where is that? What do you mean, where is that? What, how come you've never said that? You've never asked. And the other thing is, Force Awakens is now out. Yeah, I saw it on iTunes. Yeah, and have you seen I it? I have no excuse not. now. The only excuse no, I have is have I don't a, have any internet until Wednesday. You didn't That's have my an excuse, excuse before. <laughs> you didn't have an excuse before. My goodness, Andy. All right, so so what we want to do today, uh, besides beat Andy over the head with the fact that he's not seen The Force Awakens, um, we want to talk a little bit about a phrase that we use here um, quite a bit that that every now and again some some folks object to, uh, and that's that's the phrase uh, to make Jesus beautiful. So mm. so one of the purposes that we um, one of the reasons why we do this and one of the things that has been very close to my heart in terms of um, communicating to people has been the idea that that our job as uh, as a Jesus follower is to help make Jesus beautiful. Now, the objection, of course, is that, well, dude, you don't make Jesus beautiful. He's beautiful by himself. Right. And, he, and he's more beautiful than you could ever make him right. out to be, right? Yeah. So any any words you have about Jesus are necess- by definition going to fall short of how beautiful he is. Right. So I, I wanted to do a podcast on what I mean when I say that. Because, okay. because it's so, to me, it's absolutely fundamental to the project of Vox, which is to strip away the ugliness as much as we can. Now, I realize I'm the chief of sinners. 
I'm the chief polluter of Jesus's name. I get that. But there is this invitation I see um, by the people of God to strip away the ugliness that's been associated, that's grown up around um, the the images we have uh, and the pictures we have of who Jesus turns out to be. Um, and uh, to present him, to almost let his light sort of and beauty shine forth. And so I want to spend a little time talking about that because it, to me, it's central to everything we're doing. Now, Jesus says things about himself like, um, uh, and, and if you're not a Jesus uh, follower, odds are you're a Jesus fan. And, and I've met loads of people that can't stand Christianity, that can't stand the church, that can't stand religion, but are fans in the same way you'd be a fan of a Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr., are fans of Jesus of Nazareth, what Jesus taught. And so I, I, I haven't met many, I'm, I know they're out there, but I haven't met many people who are totally opposed uh, that either say he never existed or, um, or or they just think he was deluded or whatever. I, I meet sure. lots of people that have a positive kind of image of Jesus. Yeah. Now, now Jesus uh, himself talked about whenever he is lifted up, People, God will draw people to Himself through that lifting up, and 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 in, and that that's a passage that comes from one of the Gospels, John, chapter twelve. And the idea there is that the when Jesus is talking about the impending crucifixion um, and the resurrection, and then the ascension into the heavens, that lifted up includes all of those pretty momentous sorts of things. We just got done celebrating that whole. Um, uh, holiday over the Easter holiday, but there's also a sense that when Jesus is lifted up through the proclamation of the church, through the example of the church, through the um, the work of the church, then God will use uh, God's people to draw Jesus or to draw people to Jesus. And so th- there's a sense in which the church, uh, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, it's absolutely brilliant. He says, listen, you guys, you are ministers of reconciliation. As if God, you're, you are ambassadors, mm-hmm. uh, as if God were making an appeal through us. So, so part of, so God reveals himself, of course, through um, uh, creation. God reveals God's self through the scriptures. God can reveal uh, God's self, himself through dreams and visions and miracles and all of those sorts of things. But one of the very central elements is that God reveals God's self through people. Yeah, particularly those who claim to follow him. And so so if it's possible to make Jesus ugly, mm. and it certainly seems to be possible, mm-hmm. then it's also possible to make Jesus attractive. Sure. Or, okay. and again, that's just shorthand for letting the real beauty of Jesus shine through. Our part in that is trying to strip away all of the ugliness. Because the main thing that we're against is the ugliness that's grown up around Jesus, right? So that when you when you think about the history of the church, you think about uh, the Crusades, you think about the Inquisition, you think about all those who've been killed in the name of Jesus, right? You think about how the church has grabbed a hold of the sword and abandoned the cross and has mm-hmm. tried to wield power, militaristic power in the name of Jesus. A, a total, you know, a total alienation of Jesus's own words, by the way. But uh, the church has done that at times. The church has also been instrumental in uh, the liberation of slaves, has been instrumental in the building of hospitals, the caring for plague victims, the rescues of orphan, rescue of orphans and widows. And so you can go back and forth. 
But but there's a sense in which I think even today, and maybe more so today, that there's a stripping away that has to take place because what I find isn't that people have no concept of Jesus or the church. It's that they've they've got a concept and it's already negative. Mm. It's not like you're walking around talking to people who are all neutral. Hey, who's this Jesus you speak of? I've never heard right. of this Jesus, right? right? It's it's the 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 gay folks I talk to, the militant atheists that I meet, all of and, and I speak this anecdotally, but all of them have had previous experience with the church. Mm. And the and, and and so so there's a sense in which we have to recapture the idea that that the main job of the church is to strip away the ugliness. Uh, insofar as we are able, uh, agreeing ahead of time that we're part of the problem, yeah. right? I'm part of the ugliness. Right. I get that. My The fact that I don't live everything that I say, the fact that I want to hide in sin and shame, the fact that I am afraid, I mean, all of those things, granted, those are all true, but there, there still is a fundamental job description, and that is to put Jesus on display. Yeah. Now, for whatever reason, he's made it that way. That's his call. He would do a better job. No question about it, right? But for whatever so. reason, God has always wanted to gather a human community to put himself on display. This was the purpose of Israel and the reason for the calling of Abraham in the Old Testament. It's the It was the formation of the apostolic community and now the church. And if you're sitting here and you're not a church person, you're not a, you're not a religious person, you, you should be cheering, right? Because you know the ugliness. You've seen the ugliness. One of the reasons possibly why you're not a church person or you're not a Christian person is because of the ugliness. Mm -hmm. And so one of the central things, one of the central projects uh, in our mind is, is saying, listen, there's a difference between the ugliness and the real Jesus, right? And, yeah. and, and that there are, there are glimpses that we can um, facilitate in cultures and environments that we can help create that allow the real Jesus to be put on display. Because for whatever reason, to some degree, Jesus has allowed his reputation to be tied to the behavior, the mm -hmm. actions, and the, the, the embodiment of his teaching in his followers. Right? right? Yeah. So that's, that's good news and bad news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because our main, uh, our main opponent here is centuries of church history. Our main opponent is is decades of judgmentalism. Our main opponent is decades of absolute hypocrisy on sexual issues, on uh, moral issues, where where you know we highlight certain sins over other sins, and and the sins that we're we're most freaked out about aren't the sins that are most common in the church, and the sins that are most common in the church aren't the sins that are usually freaked out about, and 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 then we and then we've got this. This welding together, at least over the last 40 years or so, of, uh, of Jesus followership with conservative Republican politics. And the, the idea that that has to be stripped away, the, the nationalism, the militarism, the individualism, all of those things have to be stripped away. So the, there is the, this call, I feel like, to say, listen, the real Jesus, the one, the one that was real and the one that is captured in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, that, that Jesus is so much better than any of our ideas about Jesus. Right. That the best thing we can do is encourage people to get to know Jesus on Jesus's own terms, right? The Jesus, the true Jesus, not the Jesus of religion, not the Jesus of nationalism. The true Jesus is simply the most majestic and beautiful person, I think, that has ever walked the face of the earth. And this same Jesus talked about how this Jesus was the visible form 
of the invisible God. If you've seen me, Jesus would go around saying, you've seen the Father God. Yeah. Right? There, so so it, it's absolutely mind-blowing that, because I think what a lot of people do is they start with this nebulous concept of God and then work their way to Jesus. Jesus says it's actually the reverse. Hmm. That Jesus is what God looks like mm. in God's deepest essence, right? This is what the writer of Hebrews says, that he is the exact, Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. So that all the ways that God revealed God's self prior to Jesus, those things were true, but they weren't complete. So the violence we see uh, perpetrated by God seemingly in the Old Testament. So the 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 schizophrenia sometimes it feels like of God saying, you know, I'm yeah. going to judge you, but then I'm not going to judge you. And I mean, there there's a sense in which all of those things, all of those pictures are true, but they're not the full picture. Right. Only Jesus is the full picture. And if that's true, then it's the best news ever. Yeah. Right? Because Jesus turns out to be stinking amazing. And so our job is to let that beauty shine through. That's our job. And and one of the ways, um, Paul puts it this way. Paul talks about in, in the book of Ephesians, he says simply, be imitators of God and live in love. Live in the way of love. That's what it is. You want to know what it means to follow Jesus? Imitate Jesus. And what's that mean? Live in the way of love. All right, well, what's love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not arrogant. Love is not boastful. Love keeps no records of wrongs. I mean, that's 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, it's it's just, it is as complete a job description as you could ever imagine. Live in the way of love, which is imitating Jesus, which is the job description. And that's how Jesus shines through. And so the invitation given to us, am I making sense here, Andy? Yeah. It, it, I mean, the last thing you just said is, I think that's part of the challenge in our culture is when we say, okay, be an imitator of Jesus. Right. I think <clears throat> that's the hard part to understand sometimes. I mean, what you just said, sure, like be imitators of love. Yeah. But to be imitators of Jesus, I think that's where people get confused because they'll go into the New Testament and look at how he's judging the Pharisees. They'll look at more of like the command that he has being God and sure. people will grab onto that. Yeah. Go, well, we got to be truth warriors. We got to be the people telling people who's wrong. And I mean, that's yeah. largely also. But, where... Yes. But the, pe the the only people that Jesus did that to the were the religious leaders. Right. Right. So so you can't just you can't just claim truth warriorness. And say, and then even if you want to go to Paul, yeah. right? Who's who's more the more likely suspect to be claimed in the name of truth warrioring? Right. Then you've got Paul saying, "Listen, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Mm -hmm. I judge those inside." Or, or, or you have the example of Paul in the Book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, where Paul stands up in the city of Athens. So Athens was mo one of the most um, influential cities, and, and it was waning in Paul's day, but um, the Athenian culture was so, you know, it was the home of many of the pantheon of the gods, and and, um, and, and in fact, one ancient writer said there were more statues of gods than people in wow. the city of Athens. Some, some estimated up to 10,000. And one of the altars that was there was, was just said to an unknown god, right? Just in case... Just in, in case, case they missed one, missed one. <laughs> we got to cover our bases. And so, so here comes Paul. Now, when we meet Paul in the book of Acts, he is persecuting Christians. He's murdering Christians. He has this changing, life-changing encounter with Jesus of Nazareth. And um, he begins to go and he preaches in synagogues, in Jewish synagogues. And when he's preaching to those folks, 
He's quoting the Old Testament. He's arguing that, that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. But when he stands up in Athens, he does not quote uh, the Hebrew scriptures. What, what he does instead, very famously, of course, is he says, I see that you're very religious. In fact, I came across uh, an altar that was inscribed to an unknown God. So what was previously unknown, I'm now going to proclaim to you. And he begins to proclaim the, the, the reality of Jesus in ways that both undercut the two main uh, Athenian philosophies at the time, Epicureanism and Stoicism. And uh, he takes advantage of, um, of, of quotes that his audience would have known by their poets. And he argues for the resurrection of Jesus. And, and he doesn't persuade everybody, but it's fascinating what he doesn't do. He doesn't rail against their idols. He doesn't focus on all the negative things in their culture. He finds the one religious impulse that was good and true, the hunger to know who the gods are. Mm. And he sees this one little crease, this one little open door, the speck of open doorness, and he steps through there, yeah. proclaiming the reality of Jesus in words they understand, quoting their authorities uh, in language that they would have readily understood. And so so what you have is Paul, even when he's doing the truth warrior thing, like yeah. the culture warrior thing, you have Paul doing this amazing, amazing apologetic is what it's called. It's a kind of a defense of the faith, but it doesn't, it, it's more beautiful than that definition sounds because what Paul does is he contextualizes Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. To, so that the Greeks could hear it. He doesn't make all of their idols the issue. He doesn't make all of their pagan practices the issue. He's not condemning their sexual practices. or He just simply makes Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus the entire focus of the thing. Now, so, so when people will say, hey, 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 yes, we're to walk in the way of love, but love means we confront everybody and we tell the truth. I'm not so sure that's true. I'm not sure yeah. you have. No, I think that's true in the community of disciples, right? Clearly we're to help each other along. And we've talked about that in our earlier podcasts. It's also true uh, in our particular society that questions of polity, of polis, are decided uh, by voting. And so our, our government system um, asks our opinion. And so, of course, we exercise that very um, huge responsibility and privilege but that's about as far as it should go mm -hmm. in terms of how the scriptures teach we're to relate to secular culture because Great. because of any if anything else man we're to embody the upside downness of the jesus kingdom mm -hmm. because so jesus will say things like listen loving people who love you that's easy yeah loving your enemies that's beautiful, mm. right? We give we give Nobel Peace Prizes to people who love their enemies, yeah. right? Yeah. Loving those who love you, that's easy, yeah. right? Giving things to people who can repay you, that's easy. Yeah. Giving things to people who can never repay you, that's beautiful, right? Getting even, that's easy. Forgiving someone who's not repentant, oh, now oh, that's beautiful. There you go, come on. You know what I'm saying? There's yeah. there, So to make Jesus beautiful means that we're at, we're so praying for those people who you love that's easy yeah. praying for your enemies and those who persecute you that's beautiful see dying for those people that you care for great Every, everyone expects that right yeah dying for those people who are putting you to death 
That's beautiful, yeah. right? So, so what Jesus is inviting us into is this salt of the earth, light of the world posture where we're embodying the upside downness of the Jesus life. Mm-hmm. And that upside downness calls into question the prevailing assumptions of human life and society. And what happens, and it happens to me, it happens to us, is is that instead of calling into question the prevailing values, often those prevailing values in our Western Christianized sort of way, uh, those get baptized in Jesus' name. And then, and then now you have Jesus just baptized into valuing the middle-class comfort and lifestyle, mm-hmm. baptized into... Uh, 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 promoting racism or sexism or um, uh, hatred against those of of alternative lifestyles or whatever. And so the the opportunity to manifest the beauty of Jesus, that is, uh, it's innumerable. How you talk to people on the phone, how you treat people who are serving you, how you drive, how you speak, do you bless, do you, I mean, it is, it is, uh, the, every single day uh, in every arena of human life presents innumerable opportunities to manifest the upside down beauty of Jesus and his kingdom. And so, you know, the uh, Isaiah has this great line. Um, he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Mm. And and we've ceased being good news people. Yeah. You know, we're we're bad news people. And... And, and some will say, well, yeah, but you can't really um, have people appreciate the good news unless you give them the bad news first. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all that is a guise for, usually, is the idea that the only way bad news can be expressed is in terms of guilt as a lawbreaker. So yeah. I'm going to lead you into the Ten Commandments and show you that you've broken the law and, and the wages of sin is death. And so hell is separation from God. And that's what you deserve. But God is merciful. And that's what that means, right? Making that that the good news is you're a lawbreaker, but God forgives you. And, and these days, not many people just feel guilty, but shame, but fear, but loneliness and emptiness. Oh my goodness, those are gaping wounds in our world that represent altars to an unknown God. Mm-hmm. And that and that Paul wouldn't sit there and be blasting everybody for their sexual behaviors or their politics or their whatever. He'd just be saying, I see that you're very religious. I see that you're very spiritual. I see that you're looking yeah. for something. Mm-hmm. And what you've what you've considered unknown, now let me share what I think is known to you. I mean, that's an entirely different posture. And once you've demonstrated the upside down love of Jesus to people, you actually have credibility to start talking, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so when we say our purpose is to make Jesus beautiful, that's what we mean. We want to strip away the, the, the dust, the grime, the slime, and the ugliness of, of decades of, of uh, consumption, of decades of militarism, of decades of, of conservative politics, of decades of judgmentalism, of decades of culture war. We want to strip all of that away. I cannot defend Christianity. I cannot defend the church. I can simply point people to Jesus of Nazareth. And the church, and I'm not church bashing, right? I get accused of that all the time. I'm part of the problem. I love the church. I serve the church. I work in the church. Uh, the church. There is no other plan 
right beyond God yeah. revealing Himself through the church, yeah. and 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 I think Jesus, were He here physically, would have His harshest words for us. I just don't think there's any question about it. So to me, this isn't about bashing the church and doing something else. It's about the incumbent responsibility that has been given to the people of God throughout their existence to continually look at how they are perceived in the world. Paul instructs so many of his teachings that seem to us odd have have everything to do with making the gospel attractive. Mm -hmm. Hey, slaves, obey your masters, not because even if they're Christians, uh, but, but not because you have to, but because... I want you to make the gospel, the teachings about Jesus attractive, mm -hmm. right? Wives, if you're with an unbelieving husband, stay in your marriage so that by your silent witness, your husband might be um, wooed into the kingdom. I mean, so much of Paul's instruction that we take his moral code and debate over mm. was simply an attempt to say, listen, in our culture, make the gospel attractive. That's it. Make Jesus beautiful. That's it. Strip away the ugliness. Because, because human life is easy. We're, we, we're all fallen. There's darkness in every human heart. It is no problem to embody the values of this world. To be selfish, to be prideful, to be arrogant, to be greedy, to, to need constant affirmation, and to, be a, you know, to want to be a celebrity or to be rich or whatever. That's easy. That's easy. But none of that's beautiful. Yeah. None of that is beautiful. So... Andy, a couple of thoughts on how to make Jesus beautiful. All right, are okay. we are we great. good so far? Yeah, this is great. Oh well, we'll see. It's just very refreshing just to talk about Jesus. Uh, um, you know, I'm a fan. I'm not gonna me lie. Too. I like him. Um, now this is gonna get me into trouble. All right. Um, it, it more than normal. All okay. right, this next this next little section, Fine. I think. <laughs> um, and so, so what's it mean to, to uh, make Jesus beautiful? Well, uh, it, it obviously this isn't the controversial stuff. It obviously means you have to get to know Jesus. So, if you are a Jesus follower, don't read. Just commit yourself for the next six months. All right, don't read anything else but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's it. Just read it over and over and over. And I've told this story so many times. I know many of you have heard this story. Forgive me. But when people people ask me, when I started, uh, when did I really begin to follow Jesus? Um, it wasn't until I'd been a Christian for 10 years yeah. <laughs> that I really began to follow yeah. Jesus. Like, I almost think I had two or three conversions along the way. Mm -hmm. But um, when I was 29, I was in seminary. I was eating a college group. Um, at Mariner's Church in Irvine, California. We were at a conference and the speaker got up and the speaker's whole point for this weekend conference we were at was that you can lose Jesus right in the middle of Christianity. You can miss Jesus right in the middle of a prayer meeting. You can miss Jesus right in the middle of the Bible. You can miss Jesus. And and, and I, I, I would have said, well, of course. And he opened he opened the conference, you know, with this um this image, he said, you know, he was a, he was, his name was Bart Tarman. He was a chaplain at Westmont College, um, which uh, it was a Christian, Christian school. And as a chaplain, he would lead chapels for the students. And so, um, you know, as in, in a Christian school, we would have people come and kind of meet with him all the time. And he said, there was one time he had five guys 
who came up to him and said, hey, Bart, we want you to mentor us. We, the Christian word for that is disciple us. We want you to kind of help us grow in our, our followership of Jesus. And uh, Bart said these were really good guys. And so we just had one question for him. When was the last time that they had read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of the biographies of Jesus, um, for, for the sheer, I'm so compelled by Jesus of it? Right, not for class because they're the Christian school, not to get religious points, but because they simply were compelled by the beauty of Jesus. When was the last time you just picked up one of the Gospels and read the whole thing? Mm-hmm. Now we're at a conference with probably twelve hundred people, and it's silent because when he asked that question of those students, and you know we're overhearing this, we're 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 like. I was thinking to myself, oh man, I, I can't answer that question. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm in seminary. Yeah, and I can't answer that question. Yes, and, and so Bart he he says that the those five guys they were honest and they said they never had, and um, so Bart responded again. He was being tough on him just a little bit because they were good guys. He said, "So let me get this straight. You've given your lives to Jesus. You've um, you love Jesus. You want to serve Jesus. You want to, you pray in Jesus' name. You want to share Jesus. You want to give to Jesus. You sing songs about Jesus." And you've never taken the time to read the only authoritative accounts of his life that we have. And what he did is he opened his Bible and he pinched Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and let the rest kind of fall down. So there was only this tiny sliver of the book that he was holding on to and the rest had folded downwards and was kind of uh, down and he was holding this little bit up. And it was so, for me, it was so indicting in that moment that I, I decided, you know what, that I am that man. I am so guilty. Um, and I so, so I began to just devour uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in huge chunks at a time and, and to focus almost exclusively on understanding the cultural context of Jesus and his teachings. Mm-hmm. And so what began to happen um, is I began to um, see the vast difference between so much of what goes on in Jesus's name and the real Jesus. And, and again, not that I'm, I'm not some neutral observer, you know, I'm part of the issue. I get that. But there's also a repenting that goes on in my heart when I'm seeing this and saying, okay, it is possible to begin to strip away some of the ugliness. So the first thing, and if you're going to make Jesus beautiful, you have to see for yourself the beauty of Jesus. You have to immerse yourself in his world. That means you can't ignore the Old Testament. That means you can't ignore the Jewish culture of his day. That means, though, that you start Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Repeat Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Repeat. And if you don't understand something, you study it. You write, have a notebook next to your Bible, and you write down every question. Who's this? What's this word mean? Who are these people? And you find someone who's a little more advanced than the Jesus way and you just make them answer the questions Mm -hmm. that's just what you do Mm -hmm. and and that literally that's where everything starts because people think they know Jesus people think they know that's the biggest barrier to actually knowing something is thinking you already got it yeah Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I heard that story in Sunday school oh yeah yeah, I remember I heard it I heard a talk on that years ago in chapel no 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 there is such an arrogance to that because we've been so overfed and under challenged. And so, so if you're a Jesus follower, can I urge you, can I implore you to start with Matthew or Luke and just read it? If you are uh, somebody who's not a Jesus follower, 
um, but you're open. You're a Jesus fan. The goal is not to convert you to Christianity. I would just want you to see for yourself the difference between the real Jesus and what often goes up on his in in his name. Mm. Uh, uh, often goes on in his name is what yeah. I was trying to say. And so, um, I, I would just encourage you. And and if you're somebody who's not a follower of Jesus and you have a notebook full of questions, I'd be glad, be glad to dialogue with you about those. Uh, I think that would be incredibly fun. Um, so that's number one in making Jesus beautiful. As you gaze upon Jesus, as you um, come to recognize his beauty, then you begin to see the places in your own life where there's a divergence, you know, or an allegiance or whatever those movies are now. Mm-hmm. That why, you know, you know that yeah. like, like the, <laughs> the, the poor person's hunger games. Um, anyway, that's a little young adult. Poor person. I think it costs the same thing to watch hunger games that it does to watch. Oh, <laughs> see, yeah, seriously. All right. Number two, number two, um, nothing wrong with politics. Uh, we're a fan. We did three podcasts on politics. Yeah. We like them so much. We did three episodes. Yes. And and particularly as this gets more and more crazy, um, how do we make Jesus beautiful? Listen, have your opinion. Have your studied opinion. Have your passionate opinion. Just don't think your unique way of solving society's problems is the Christian way. Just don't do that. The Christian way is dying for your enemies. The Christian way is serving the world. The Christian way is blessing those who persecute you. Insofar as you are doing those things, that is the Christian way. Nothing else should be labeled the Christian way. Right? There is no the Christian way to parent or the Christian way to raise kids or the Christian way to date or the Christian way to marry or the Christian way. Let's just abandon all of that. Insofar as you are directly obeying the teachings of Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, insofar as you're obeying those teachings, that's the Christian way. Everything else is your way of doing the Christian way. Mm-hmm. It's not the Christian way. Yeah. All right? So let's, let's lose my way being the Christian way. All right? Let's just lose that language. All right, because the only thing that deserves to be labeled the Christian way is when you're directly imitating Jesus. That's it. That's all you got. Thirdly, never give the impression that agreeing with you on all of your individual and particular beliefs is a precondition for getting on board with the kingdom. In other words, we've talked about the fact that there are central issues and there are really secondary issues. Yeah. Never give the impression that agreeing with you on uh, how old the earth is, on whether Noah and the ark was global or local flood, or whether the dinosaurs were real or not, or, or whether the rapture is true or not, or whether the Antichrist is here or not. Never give the impression that agreeing with you on those secondary issues is a precondition for coming into the kingdom. Paul put it very simply. I made it my focus, my passion to know one thing and one thing only, Jesus and him crucified. There it is. That's the that's the center. Right? If you want to know what we go to the wall on, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus uh Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus was buried. I mean, there's this sweet little creed there that summarizes the whole thing. That's it. That's it. That's all you got to agree on. Once you're in the kingdom, we can have all kinds of fun debates. 
Can women serve as leaders? Are all the spiritual gifts for today uh, communion? Is it uh, really the body and blood or is it not the body and blood? Well, how's the world going to end? Is there a literal antichrist, a literal thousand year millennium? My Lord, please, please, please. And I've had to unlearn this uh, because I used to do the opposite. Please don't make it seem like agreeing with you on those is a precondition for getting in. And then the last thing, and this is the one that's going to get me in trouble. Um, I, uh, I'm no legal expert. Uh, I know shocking. Are you sure? I know. <laughs> and, um, and I'm no, I'm certainly no expert on religious liberty, mm. but it seems like there is a lot of effort being exerted to protect Christians from having to serve those with whom they disagree. Okay, so I don't want to bake a cake. Oh, okay. I don't want to be a photographer. I I don't want to share a bathroom. Yeah. I and and and, and I'm sympathetic. I, I I think I get this. But I, I, may I, with fear and trembling, say I un, un, unbelievably disagree. <laughs> that 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 is making Jesus ugly. That yeah. is not making Jesus beautiful. And here's here's what here's why. Central to making Jesus beautiful uh, and seeing the beauty of Jesus is understanding how Jesus associated with the, quote, sinners of his day. The worst of the worst. They were drawn to him. They flocked to him. The prostitutes. And again, that's so trite. We don't actually think of what prostitution was like in the first century. The tax collectors, we don't think about how scummy those people were in the first century. And all over the Gospels are filled with stories of Jesus, with Roman soldiers, with lepers, with with women who had issues of, of bleeding of, of from their feminine parts. I mean, that, that would have made you so unclean. I mean, and Jesus welcomes all of it. Right, he not only welcomes it; he extends kinship to it, and and he an acceptance to it. And again, of course, he's calling people to repentance, but he's doing it through kindness, and he's doing it through love, and he's doing it through grace before truth. And 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 we have, and again, I know it's more complex that I'm saying. I get that, but we have people who are saying there are classes of sinners that are so bad we will not serve them as a business, mm-hmm. lest. We participate in their sin. Yeah. And, and I just want to say, so let me get this straight. Jesus friended those people, ate with those people, and now we are trying to get our modern day Caesar, namely our laws, to back the idea that we don't have to love them and serve them mm-hmm. in the name of Jesus. Right. Right. So in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to freaking get near your gay wedding. And, and if I were to bake a cake, that would somehow endorse it. And I, I need you to know that you're wrong and that you're a sinner. And so my baking a cake is going to show you. I mean, what? What? <laughs> what? It's so ridiculous. Like when you oh, when you stop and think about it, it's so outrageous. It's, it is. Oh. And so so may I encourage encourage you, have your opinions. Follow the scripture's teaching on sexual ethics. If you want, if you're a Jesus follower and you want to be revolutionary, take Jesus's teaching on sexuality seriously, but don't make anyone else take it seriously. Your sin, according to Jesus, my sin, according to Jesus is a two by four and everyone else's sin is a, is a speck of dust. Now that means they have sin, of course, but my sin's bigger. If I'm the biggest sinner in the room, 
who am I not to bake a cake for somebody? Yeah. Who am I not to be a photographer? Who am I? Unless you're willing to check all the inappropriate divorces, all the couples that are sleeping together, all the people that don't honor their mother and father, all the people that are greedy and slanderous, all the things that are listed next to whatever text we think condemn homosexuality, unless you're going to do all of those things too, then just keep your yap shut, smile, and love people for crying out loud. This, this clerk in Kentucky who broke the law because she did not see uh, marriage. I mean, this freaking resign. What are you doing? How does that make Jesus beautiful? Jesus would have eaten with the people that you're alienating. You understand that? Our job isn't to be right. Our job is to make him beautiful. All right? That's our job. That's our job. And sticking up for our entitlements, that's easy. Loving the unlovable, that's beautiful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right, I'm going to get in trouble for that. <laughs> Once again, Mike is uh, shouting at me. I know, in, poor in about, Andy. In about four feet of space in a I know. small room. Poor Andy. <laughs> Andy's hair's blown back. Uh, it's getting longer. I know, I love that. Yeah. I want it long. Yeah. See, people, I think you need to show... a. I, Producer notes, show a picture of you with really long hair. Okay. Show the picture that got you hired. Okay. I'm not All sure right. which one it is, but I got... I, it was I the got, one on your Facebook that, that years ago, no, like three years ago, two yeah. years ago, yeah. you had super long hair. You had like, you were kind of grungy and I'm like, I, yeah. I, I need that guy. I know. You liked me better then. No, no, no. I like <laughs> you better now. But I, 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 but I thought, I thought, here's a guy who could pass for Eddie Vedder. Yes. Uh, yes. All right. Okay. All right. So, well, uh, if you haven't turned it off yet, bless you. Um, uh, love that that many of you have reviewed us. One one of the ways that iTunes kind of notices us is when we get reviews. Yeah. And so, thank you for for that. Um, thank you for the many of you that are expressing interest in kind of the local expression of Vox that we're cooking up. Um, thank you to the many of you who have just donated to the podcast. I mean, that's, it's unbelievable the generosity of, uh, of this little tribe that we are gathering. It yeah. is, it is absolutely unbelievable. And, um, and so we have, uh, many plans, many designs and dreams if God would bless them. But the biggest one is simply this, to just do what we talked about, to try to help strip away some of the ugliness so that, uh, the real beauty of Jesus can shine through. Mm -hmm. and, and the best way to do that is to find another, to find somebody who maybe is a little further along in the journey and then just immerse yourself in the world of Jesus and in his words mm -hmm. and see what happens. Right. And I was going to, as you were talking to with like, with using that terminology, strip away the ugliness, like, would, would you also say that part of that is like embracing our own? Like we kind of, we got to see our own ugliness. Absolutely. In order, like, because so, like, I mean, the, the juxtaposition is light is most present in a dark place. I mean, light among light just gets lost in the but mix. But see, that goes back to your truth warrior question. Yeah. What we want to do is before we tell anybody good news, we want to show we want to tell them the bad news, right? Because you don't yeah. appreciate the cure and uh, the the cure the cure. Yeah. Unless you know you're sick. Right. But yeah. Like but the that, bad news about ourselves. That. But see, that's that's where it that's where it really needs to be applied. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the world. I'm t and I know you're not either. 
We're talking about um, the fact that over and over again, we are the ones who need to be amazed yeah. by Jesus. Right. And that in our amazement, um, we grow to be more like him. Yeah. We, we, we do. And it's a beautiful thing. So um, anyway, brothers and sisters, thank you. I want you right now, if you're driving, to let go of the wheel and to say with me, Jesus, take the wheel. Right now, wherever you are, do it. Right now, Jesus, take the wheel. One of the worst, so I have this little subfolder in my computer of, of Christian sort of cheesy culture pictures, you know? Yeah. One of my favorites is this um, a car that has been banged up. It's clearly been in a pretty big accident with a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. <laughs> and you just go, okay, well. So anyway, wherever you are, uh, let's do a little benediction. Um, let's do, you know what? You know what? I'm going to mix it up. I'm, I'm not going to do numbers today. I'm going to go, I'm going to do Jude. What do you oh. think of that? Hey Jude. All right. Yeah, but I got I don't have that one memorized, so I gotta I gotta get this. Jude. Clearly one of the more overlooked. But it's a great if you want to just say, hey, I read a whole book of the Bible today, read Jude. <laughs> it's uh twenty five verses. That's yeah. all it is. All right, yeah. so I love this one. All right, so this is for you guys. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence. Without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Until next time, good people. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.